Right, well, I'd love you to um, turn to a Bible. We're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42, which is on page 728. So, page 728, Isaiah 42. I'm just going to read verses 1 to 4, and then we're going to learn together these uh, from this little section of Isaiah, the ancient prophet. So it says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. I guess you all know what it's like when you've got some really good news you want to share. Uh, Something big that's happened that you want to tell people about. Uh, perhaps you go on Facebook or Twitter. No, probably not Twitter anymore. But it's something like that, some social media thing. Or perhaps you just talk to people. <laughs> it's novel. You know, there's all sorts of ways that we tell people good news. We unveil something. We want people to know. So when Apple have produced their new iPhone, their latest iPhone, they keep it under secret, right? They keep it very secret. No one is to know about it. It's all kept hidden, 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 hidden until they have the big unveiling and they get like a big stage huge event big crowd loads of lights flashy things and they say here is the iphone but interestingly they don't say that this is a little bit of trivia just for free listen to the way they talk about it it's never called the iphone it's always called iphone so they never say the iphone because they want you to believe iphone is a person not a thing So they never say, the iPhone can do this. They say, iPhone can do this for you. Anyway, there's this great revealing. I thought you'd be interested. Turns out you're not. Uh, There's this great unveiling. And there's an amazing moment, isn't it, when something is shown. And there's something about the Apple guy who's presenting it, who's sort of bursting with pride over this new product. If he just went, well, here it is. It's all right. It's pretty good. Sometimes they go wrong. There's a brilliant one for an electric, uh, electric car which self-parks. You press a button on it and it drives itself to your garage. So he drove it onto the stage, got out, pressed the button, and it just sat there and just didn't move. And it's just slightly embarrassing when you make your big unveil and nothing happens. But whatever it is, we love that moment when the curtain is pulled back or the rope is pulled or the ribbon is cut and suddenly the new thing is unveiled for everyone to see. Something that was hidden is now revealed. That's the sense you get in chapter 42 of Isaiah. Just listen to it again. Look at the first line. Here is my servant. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And God says, here he is. And you almost get that sense, if I can put it like this, and it's a slightly strange way to talk about God, but it's almost as though God is bursting with pride over this wonderful servant who he is introducing us to. Here is my servant. 
And just like the crowd, when, what's his face, gets the iPhone and says, here's the iPhone, the crowd are all supposed to go, wow. When God says, here is my servant, the right response is, wow, worship. So I just want us to work our way through these verses. Nothing fancy, nothing clever. I'm just going to work through. I'm going to show you what it says and help us to see, well, what is this? who is this? What is this servant that God introduces us to? And why should we say, wow? Why should we be bothered about him? So let's just uh, work our way through. Um, first up, um, notice that he's the servant. Why is he called a servant? What do you know about servants? Well, for a start, servants have work to do. If you've got no work to do, it's very difficult to be a servant. Servants work. And they have a job. They're not sort of volunteers who say, oh, I'd like to, I'd like to spend some time recreationally digging the garden this afternoon. That's not a servant. A servant is told, because you, you need to dig the garden this afternoon. So if I ever go to the supermarket on my own just to browse, <laughs> in a sort of never will, but perhaps I might, I go to the supermarket, I go to browse, and I just wander the the aisles, and I have a happy time looking at the various things. I see what's on offer, I see what's there. It's interesting, it's quite fun. And I'm free to leave whenever I want, because I'm just there. If I'm sent with work to do, it's a very different thing. If I have a list, suddenly I've got a mission to achieve. I've got something I need to do, right? Now it changes everything. I'm not free to leave anymore. I need to walk up and down the aisles till I've got everything on the list. I've got to find the tomato puree. And why the tomato puree is not next to the tomato sauce is ridiculous. But I've still got to find it. Because that's the way it works. Because now I'm sent with work to do. So the servant, it must be someone who has a specific work that needs to be done. And notice that a servant works on someone else's behalf. So a servant doesn't just work for themselves. They work for someone else. So the servant is sent and is God's servant. So he has work to do for God. So you've got to build up this picture of what this servant is. It's very interesting to see this in the Bible. When God, who is the creator, king, father, when God wants to do stuff in the world, he does it through servants. He does it through people. He doesn't need to. I mean, he could just do it any way he wants, couldn't he? He could just go, um, and make things happen. But he doesn't. He works through servants. So keep your um, finger in Isaiah 42. Just turn to Exodus 14. Let me show you what I mean. This is on page 72. Exodus 14, page 72. We're just trying to build up a picture of what what do we mean by servant? It's someone who's got work to do for God. And this is just the pattern that God does. He he has servants who do work for him. So have a look at Exodus 14, verse 29. God's people have been slaves in Egypt... And God rescued them. So it says in verse 29, the Israelites, that's God's people, went through the sea. This is the parting of the Red Sea, the famous story of the parting of the Red Sea. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. 
And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Do you see, it's funny, isn't it? Because you don't need that and in Moses, his servant. God rescued them. They feared him. They saw him powerful and they trusted him. But how did God bring his people out of Egypt? Well, through Moses, the servant. How does God do his work? He does it through his servant. Moses is the servant that God used. His work was to rescue the people from slavery. So Moses works on God's behalf to rescue the people. There's a problem with Moses. If you turn to the book of Joshua, I'm just going to flick forward a few pages uh, to page uh, Joshua chapter 1, page 216. Okay, 216, there's a problem with Moses, the servant of the Lord. And you get it in the first five words. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I'm about to give you. So what's the problem with Moses, the servant? Well, he was a pretty good servant and he did his job, but then he died. And so now you need a new one. So now Joshua is raised up to be the servant of the Lord. And now through Joshua, the particular work Joshua has is to lead the people into the land, into the promised land. Moses, the servant, rescues them. Joshua, the servant, leads them. But the trouble is that Joshua then dies at the start of the book, the next book, Joshua, uh, Judges. And then you get a load of judges, and then you get to King David. And King David is called the servant of God. So turn to 2 Samuel 7. Last one, promise. Although it's, we're having lots of fun, aren't we? 2 Samuel 7, page 311. So 2 Samuel 7, page 311. Here's David speaking now. And it says, And now, Lord God, this is verse 25, And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you've made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. So David's job was to rule as the king. That was his job as the servant of the Lord. But then David dies. And they keep dying. The servants of the Lord keep dying. And when you get to Isaiah's day, the same thing was still happening. They'd had a great king called Uzziah. But Uzziah had just died. And these servants of the Lord who rescue and lead and rule, these servants keep dying. And then God says in chapter 42, here is my servant. God says, I want you to see, I'm about to do something new. I'm about to show you a servant like you've never seen before. A servant better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than David, better than anyone. I'm going to show you a servant. The servant has work to do for God. He is God's servant. And God says, he is the one I will uphold. I will hold tight to him. That's how he's going to stand firm. Because God's going to have hold of him. 
a servant who is absolutely closely connected to God. And then he speaks about this one being his chosen one, this one being his delight. Do you almost sense that feel of pride? God saying, this is the one, this is the one I delight in. This is my this is the apple of my eye. This servant I'm sending, he is my greatest joy. This is the one. And then he says he's going to put his spirit on him. This is the servant who is going to be fully equipped with the power of God to do God's work. Here is the servant. Well, what's his work going to be? Well, his work is going to be to bring justice. You see that at the end of verse 1? We're just working our way through, not trying to do anything clever, just showing what it says. He will bring justice to the nations. Don't you long for justice? Don't you long for someone who could put everything that's wrong with the world right again? There's so much injustice in our world. There's so much that's wrong. There's so many people this Christmas who will be starving. So many people who are afraid. So many people who are being brutalized. So many people in countries where there's war. Do you not long for justice? For someone who could put things right. That's the vision that Isaiah has. That's the message that God has. Here is my servant and it's him who is going to put all that's wrong right again. It's a magnificent vision. All of the times that we've been unfairly treated, all the times when we've unfairly treated others, all the harsh words we've spoken, all the ways that we've done wrong, all of it will be put right. Don't you, can you imagine living in a world where there was no injustice? Where David Attenborough never had to make another documentary other than to say, isn't it beautiful? Let's swim through these seas and there is no plastic, there is no pollution because humanity has stopped stuffing up the place and justice has been brought rightness has been brought back to our planet. Don't you long for that? Can you even imagine that? There's a, there's a lovely story of, um, I don't know if it's lovely or not, but there were, do you know the story of Christian the lion? Right, there were two guys, kind of like in their early 20s, I guess, lived in London in the 70s, and they bought a lion from Harrods. Because back in the 70s, you could actually do that. <laughs> it was a cub, a little lion cub. They bought, they bought it, and they, it lived with them in their flat. And uh, obviously it began to grow, and it got too big for their flat. So they realized that they were going to need to take it to Africa and release it into the wild. And they took it to a game park, and they released it. And it was sad for them, because they loved Christian the lion, and they had to wave goodbye to him. A few years later, they went back to the same game park to see if they could find him again. And uh, the, the keeper of the game park said to them, you need to be... You need to realize that he will now be wild. He'll have lived in this wild environment. and he. Anyway, they, were, they wanted to see if they could find him. And they tracked him down. They located him. And there's a, there's a video of this, of him running down the mountain, this lion, towards them. And they're standing there like, how's this going to go? And the lion, this lion, runs up to them, fully grown now. It leaps at them and flings its paws around them and just plays with them. And it's really, really beautiful. It is that picture of rightness. 
There's a sense, Isaiah later on speaks of when the lion will lie down with the lamb, when creation will be put right, when there won't be war, there won't be fighting, there will be rightness. Here is my servant, God says, and his work is going to be to bring justice, to put every single thing right. I long for that day. I long for a day of justice. When we won't need policemen anymore. And we won't need courts anymore. And we won't need prisons anymore. And we won't need traffic wardens anymore. <laughs> because all injustice will have gone. And we can park where we like. I mean, no, we're, uh, do something else. So he's going to bring justice. He's the servant who brings justice. But notice next how he brings justice. He brings justice gently. So look at verse uh, 2. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. This is a servant who will act so differently to anyone that we've ever seen before. This is a servant who will not go around shouting you watched any of the coverage of the debates in Parliament recently? You've seen the way that people shout at one another and call each other names and put each other down and seek to bring justice by crushing their opponents, by being harsh, by stamping their authority. Not this one. He doesn't shout at all. There's a lot of shouting in our world, isn't there? People are shouting all the time. Trying to get their opinion heard. Trying to get their view across. Trying to get people to listen to them. It's about me. You need to listen to me. And the person who shouts the loudest is the one who gets listened to the most. Not this one. He doesn't shout. Doesn't need to. I love this about the servant. He's quiet. And so gentle. Now, let's face it, gentleness is not a quality that our culture really gets very well. You know, to be gentle in our culture is seen as pretty weak. You know, so we call sort of uh, fabric conditioner. Right? That's gent- we'll call that gentle and soft. Tissue. Yes, we can have gen- tissue. That's a good word for gent. That goes in the tissue word group. Right? Soft things. Fluffy, nice harmless. Those sorts of words, they can all belong with gentle. Now that is not what gentle means at all. Gentle is actually all about power and strength. I can, I can prove this to you. If I got in a boxing ring with Tyson Fury, the, the heavyweight boxer, and I said to him, hey Tyson, uh, please be gentle with me. What am I saying? I'm not saying, Tyson Fury, you're like a box of tissues. And uh, you're just really weak and pathetic. What I'm saying is, you are much, much stronger than me. You have the capability to completely destroy me. Please, would you withhold your power and do good to me? Gentleness means holding back your strength in order to do someone else good. Jesus came, the servant came, to be gentle. 
The servant came, Isaiah says, not to display his strength, but to hold back his strength for the other's good. To use his strength, not to exert his self, but in order to help the others. And that's why when he sees a bruised reed, what will he do with it? A bruised reed is pathetic. What a waste of space a bruised reed is. A bruised reed is something that needs to be thrown away, but not this servant, because he is gentle, and he will take the bruised reed, and he will heal it. He will gently restore it. And the smoldering wick, which has got virtually nothing left, just a tiny little glowing ember, he will nurse it back to full strength. I don't know this afternoon, perhaps there are people sitting here, and you feel pretty bruised. You feel pretty weak. You feel pretty like you've got very little left. Well, God says, here's my servant. Let me show you my servant. Here's the servant who takes a bruised reed and restores it. He doesn't break it. What a servant this is. He's going to bring justice to the world, to put everything right, but he's going to do it gently without crushing people along the way. And he's going to do it not just gently, but he's going to do it completely. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. This is the second half of verse 3. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Here is the servant who's been given this work of bringing justice, and he's going to do it completely. He will go right to the end. He will finish the job. He won't falter or get discouraged. Have you ever started something but not had the power to finish it? You get discouraged. You falter. I remember once um, my mum was desperate to have our kitchen redecorated when I was a kid. She spent the day once just ripping all the wallpaper off the walls. My dad came home and was like, what on earth have you done? And she was very enthusiastic. I'm redecorating the kitchen. Six months. Six months we had no wallpaper on our walls in our kitchen because she was so enthusiastic. But then she got discouraged and faltered and didn't didn't finish the job. We've all done that. We've all been there. On a more serious level, there have been amazing people who've come along, amazing human leaders, but they've not been able to finish the job. Nelson Mandela was an extraordinary man, but he couldn't finish the job. He couldn't bring peace. He couldn't bring justice. He couldn't fix it. Extraordinary people who've done extraordinary things, but they can't do it. But Isaiah says, God says that there's a servant who's coming who will not falter, who will not stop until he has finished the job completely. Until he has brought justice on earth. You've got to admit, that's pretty cool. That there would be this figure, this one, who will be able to put all things right. So this is the vision. This is the presentation. This is what God says to his people. Here is my servant. He's going to bring justice. He's going to do it gently. And he's going to do it completely. Now, if we'd said to Isaiah, okay, look. If we'd said to Isaiah, Isaiah, who are you writing about? 
Who is this servant that you're talking about? What would he have said? I think he'd have said, I don't know. I don't know who it is. He was writing 700 years before Jesus came. And I think he'd have said, I don't know. I'm writing this stuff about this servant who's coming and he's going to write more in the coming pages. And when you get to Isaiah 53, he's going to write about this same servant who is going to go to his death, who's all of the sin of the world is going to be placed on his shoulders, that he is going to be crushed for our sin. And Isaiah doesn't know who it is. Isaiah, who is it? I don't know. Don't you imagine that Isaiah writing this is the little bit of him going, who is this? We know. We know. We've seen him. We're about to celebrate his birth. What Isaiah never saw, we have. Because the servant is the baby that we celebrate at Christmas. This is Jesus. This is Jesus sent by God with work to do. His work to bring justice to the nations. He's the servant that God delighted in, who said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Here is the servant that God is pleased with, the very apple of God's eye, better than Moses who rescued them from slavery, better than Joshua who led them into the promised land, better than David who ruled over them as king. Here is Jesus, the servant of God. And Jesus alone is the one who has the power to bring justice to the nations, who has alone has the power to put all things together. And he does it gently. Jesus didn't go around screaming and shouting. Jesus didn't go around with a big kind of like fancy set of lights trying to get excitement and whip up a crowd and try and get a bit of momentum going. He didn't do any of that. He came quietly. He walked the streets. He sat with people. He was gentle. And when a blind beggar asked him for mercy, he stopped and he healed him. And when a widow had lost her only son, he stopped and he raised the boy from the dead. And when a sinful woman begged him to forgive her sin, he smiled and said, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. This is the gentleness This is Jesus. This is the one who doesn't unleash his power, but instead controls his power for people's good. I think if I had all the power of heaven, I think I would do some miracles for myself. I might, because I'm sort of, you know, a nice sort of bloke. I might do a few miracles for some of you, but I'd do some for me too. This is like when someone says, "If, if I won the lottery, I'd give half of it away. Well, bully for you. (laughs) Jesus never did anything for himself. He never did a miracle that was just selfishly for himself. He never did that. And then in an extraordinary way, on the night before he died, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he knew he was going to die the next day. He said, do you not think I could call on heaven and legions of angels would come and rescue me. But Jesus 
holds them back. It's as if the angels of heaven are going, let's go get him. We've got to go get, we've got to go rescue Jesus because he's our darling. He's, the, he's our pride and our joy. And Jesus holding them back and saying, no, you don't come for me. That's gentleness right there. It's not that Jesus is weak. Don't ever think Jesus is weak. Jesus is holding back all the power of heaven so that he can go to a cross to die. That is gentleness. He died for you so that you could be forgiven, so that justice could be brought to you. Because all of us have done wrong. And there is no one else. You know the old nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a big fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty together again. And that's the problem with our world. Many of us know what it's like to have a great fall and to feel like we're shattered into a hundred pieces and to feel like there's no one who can put us back together again. But there is. And his name's Jesus. And he takes bruised reeds and broken Humpty Dumpties and he doesn't throw them away. He restores them. That's the message of Christmas. And no matter how battered and bruised, no matter how frustrated and broken, no matter how weak and frail you feel, here is the one, here is the servant, Jesus, who puts you back together. He went to a cross. He died for you. He paid for your sin so that you could be forgiven and restored. And he will not finish and will not stop until he has completed the work. And here is the one who one day will fully establish justice on earth. Here's the servant. And this Christmas, you know what? We're supposed to stand as God says, here is my servant. And we're supposed to stand and say, wow. Wow. Jesus, in all my brokenness, would you put me back together again? Would you deal gently with me? Would you bring justice for me? That's what Christmas is all about. It's like God's launch of his son. Here is my servant. So I wonder this Christmas, how are you feeling about Jesus? Are you excited to worship him this Christmas? Do you know him? Do you know him as the servant in whom we can pin our hope? We're going to pray together now. And we're going to thank him. And then we're going to sing. And we're going to spend some time singing and remembering him together and all he's done for us. But let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this afternoon that Jesus is the servant of the Lord. The servant who rescues us like Moses did, who leads us like Joshua did, who rules us like David did. Thank you that Jesus is the servant. But thank you that he's different and he's better because this is the servant who will never die. This is the servant who went to a cross and rose again. This is the servant who now gently deals with broken people like us. This is the servant who one day will put all things right. Father, please help us this Christmas to see your servant clearly and to worship him in Jesus' name. Amen.